I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shelby. And this is Finding Gavin's Voice. A disability advocacy podcast building community around open conversations. We are here today with my good friend, Liz Cohen. Liz and I met at the University of Tulsa, where she previously was a speech path major. And so we connected over that. And Liz will talk about this later, I'm sure, but she switched when she went to graduate school into public health. And I could not be more excited to have her today as one of our guests on our podcast. So thank you, Liz. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Could you start out with just tell us about your ADHD diagnosis as an adult? Like, when did you start feeling like you needed to reach out for help? And what steps got you to where you are today? Yeah, so um, when I was in graduate school, I had a pretty life-changing event. Um, I had a couple of deaths in the family over the course of a year and a half, and I had a big friendship fall apart. Um, And with that, um, I I kind of experienced some depression and anxiety in college. And I had told myself when when, um, this like big falling out happened with this friend that if I was still struggling to get out of bed in the morning, like four or five days after it happened, I like set a date and said, I'm going to seek help. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to see someone and figure it out. Um, and I ended up still struggling. And so I called our, I was in graduate school. So I had access to our on-campus psycholo- psychiatrists and psychologists. And so I called and got an appointment and was set up for an evaluation, et cetera. And I was actually diagnosed with depression and anxiety, moderate to severe depression and anxiety at that time. And I started taking medication. And this is about in December of 2015. Um, And we kept throughout my sessions, like we were adjusting my meds and trying to figure out what, what was happening. And I would describe these symptoms and feelings like my mind is always racing or like, you know, I'm waking up in the middle of the night a lot and I'm like, and I have all this excess energy and I I feel like my body is always tense and anxious. And so we kept like upping my meds to cover what we thought was anxiety. And I just kept getting worse instead of better. And finally I was in, I'd kind of started looking back and thinking, and I don't know if, if there had been some talk about women with ADHD around me or something, but I had started thinking back and going, okay, let me think. I was a speech pathology major. Like we actually studied diagnosing kids with neurodivergencies. Like what am I lining up with any of this? Cause in college, I mean, we even like took mock ADHD screeners and all this kind of stuff. And I was always like, I remember distinctly having a conversation with my professor about how I thought one of my brothers thought he had ADHD, but didn't really because he didn't meet the criteria of the screener and neither did I. We were both very successful, but I I really started thinking back and going, hmm, well, my whole life, I would zone out a lot. And my family said I was going to Elizabeth land. That was like a whole running family joke. In school, I was considered a gifted kid. And when I would zone out, not pay attention, get bored, I I wasn't like getting up and being disruptive. I had a cousin who was in the same grade as me, had ADHD, and she was like a hallmark. She was like, argumentative, getting out of her chair, climbing the walls, like, and I wasn't doing that. So I don't think anyone thought that that could possibly be it. They were just like, oh, she's bored because she's smart and she's not challenged enough. So they would pile on more homework for me and, and give me more challenges and things to do. And I was really successful in school, but then I kept thinking more and more in high school, my friends, 
would joke around at lunch. Like we'd be talking about something and I'd zone out or look off somewhere else or not hear them. They go, oh, ADD went that way was like the thing we would say. And then I started thinking too about how much harder I felt like I had to work to be successful. People would be like, oh, you make really good grades. Like you have almost a 4.0 and you don't even have to try. And it's like, I don't know what you think not even have to try means. Like I have to literally take my book home from class. I'm absorbing nothing from the classroom. I'm, I'm not paying attention and I'm going home and staying up till 3 a.m. reading the same chapter we reviewed in class today and handwriting the notes because I missed all of it in class. I even had a professor in college who will remain nameless, who taught audiology, who used to sit on her desk at eight o'clock in the morning for early morning class and lecture in her quiet voice with no classroom materials. And I was struggling to keep up. I would tell, I would tell professors, I had learned to do this in high school, that I wasn't an auditory learner because I'd learned about learning styles back then was a big deal. That was like, now it's been debunked, but that was a whole thing. And I said, I'm not an auditory learner or I'm visual and tactile and I need like supportive materials. And this professor basically wrote me off, turned around and looked at me from her office and said, has anyone ever diagnosed you with ADHD? And I was like offended. I was like, what? No, like that's, why would you even say that? Like, I'm really successful. I'm a successful student. Like I just got really annoyed about it. But as I like reflected on that in graduate school, while I'm spending Saturday and Sunday at Starbucks eight hours a day doing tons of work. And my classmates are like on Snapchat posting that they've taken the weekend off and they're making similar grades to me. Like I started to get frustrated. So fast forward to the end of my master's program and we have an in-class activity where we're broken up into multiple groups and each group has a scribe and we're doing like an activity where we're all talking out loud. And I chose to be the scribe because I was like, I want to get my good grade. I'm not going to trust these people to, <laughs> to, to write down the information correctly and actually listen. And so I started write, trying to write and pay attention. And I'm hearing everyone's voice in the whole room at the exact same volume. And I can't tune out and pay attention to the people in front of me and write the information. And I got so frustrated and just so worked up about it. And I really thought about it. And at the time it was the end of the program. So I was about to transition into the community for my mental health treatment. And I basically asked my psychiatrist at the time when she did my referral out to add ADHD. Um, so I really had an unconventional path to diagnosis in multiple senses of the word, because not only did I not just like have a moment of like, I should get tested for ADHD. Like I was already in mental health treatment already had that background knowledge of what ADHD looks like and had the kind of the framework to build for myself to go, I might have this. And then instead of having to do the whole evaluation process, I was able to get transferred into a community clinic with a diagnosis. And then when I got there, the psychiatrist said, and you've never been diagnosed before and no one ever put you on beds. And I said, no. And she said, you are the most successful case of undiagnosed and untreated ADHD I've ever seen. You must be exhausted. And she was right. And so I, I sought it out out of frustration and reflection, just realizing that I had worked twice as hard my whole life to achieve the same thing that the people around me didn't have to work twice as hard at. And so it kind of just boiled, graduate school really is where it boiled to a head and it really took me into the program and it did, uh, some big life-changing events to make it happen. Wow. What a journey first off. So good for you for being consistent and realizing that something was different and seeking that help. But like you said, so many stories I've heard are of adults who 
originally were diagnosed anxiety, depression, even autism. So looking back at your journey, is there anything for people who might be listening like that set that ADHD diagnosis apart from those other ones? Well, so interesting that you say that because my mother (laughs) for a lot of my life, especially when I started expressing issues, I expressing that I'd had sensory problems and I've always had auditory issues. Like I wear earplugs at family events. Um, I've always had very sensitive ears and, you know, sometimes lights are too bright and things like that. So when I started expressing that, she would always say like, are you sure you don't have autism? And she would send me stuff about autism. Uh, sorry, mom, if you hear this, I'm calling you out, but <laughs> she would send me stuff about autism and, and was kind of convinced that I had it. And I started talking to my therapist about it and looking into it more. And I've come to this very distinct difference between autism and ADHD. And it's that in autism, you don't understand the social cues and the social norms In ADHD, you absolutely understand them. You know they exist. You read them. You possibly feel them in the moment. A lot of people with ADHD are actually very empathetic and feel so much of the world around them. But the difference is you just don't care whether or not you follow them or you acknowledge them because the impulse in your brain is saying, I want to talk about this thing at this moment. And if I don't scratch this dopamine itch, my body is going to be anxious and wired the entire rest of the time I sit here. So I have to say this thing. Whereas you're like, I know it may not be on topic, it may not be relevant, but I have to do the thing I do not care. Whereas a lot of my friends with autism have no concept of when is the right time to say the thing. It's just, and they can't read your intention and your, your body language. So it's, it's really a difference of you can read those cues, but you don't care that those cues are there. Right. Shelby's over here laughing because I think her, (laughs) her story is pretty similar um, in that area. So actually I've been shaking my head the entire time you've been talking. My experience is that I've been on anxiety and depression medication since adulthood. I probably should have been on it a lot sooner, but adulthood was where it really kicked in for me that I needed some help. Um, I've tried every antidepressant, every anxiety medication under the sun. I've tried different doses. They kept giving me more because it wasn't working. I was realizing that this medication was just making me numb. Like I didn't want zero emotion. I just wanted less sad emotion. And so like (laughs) it was never the right fit. And then uh, I'm not disputing that I have both anxiety and depression because I do, but Getting my ADHD diagnosis, which this episode is going to end up being my coming out story is having ADHD, because up until this point, I haven't told anybody really beyond my wife and a few friends. Like my parents don't know. I haven't had that conversation with them yet. Um, Hopefully I'll have the guts to do that before this airs. But anyway, (laughs) once I realized that that's how my brain worked, I filled out a spreadsheet I found out online about all the different things that ADHD encompasses. And um, one of them was like, how did this affect you in childhood? And thinking back, and uh, I know my parents definitely can't dispute this, but on almost every single report card in elementary school, you know, when they have the behaviors listed and you get like a E for exceeds or an N for needs of improvement, I always had issues with talking too much. And it always said in the the notes, every single teacher, almost every single report card said, Shelby is so smart, but she talks too much. 
Shelby is so smart, but she's a disruption in class. And looking back, you know, like that's, um, I just wonder if, if uh, my primary school education would have been different because I had the same thing. Like high school was easy. I didn't study. I didn't have to. And then I hit college and oh crap, I have to figure out how I had to teach myself how to learn on a different level. And I too looked at all the learning styles and I can't just listen either. Um, I know, like you said, that's been debunked, which I actually didn't know until you said that, but yeah, I have to read chapter and take physical notes. I can't type, I can't type my notes. I have to write them or it's not effective. And sometimes when it's really hard material, I find myself writing them and then typing them so that I have to touch the material twice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you say that. So going back to the the elementary school age and parents and all of that, my brothers both have a diagnosis of ADHD as well. And my dad had learning difficulties growing up. He actually uh, was an educator until recently. He just retired, but um, he had learning difficulties growing up. And I believe we, we kind of think he has ADHD as well. I don't know if he has a formal diagnosis or not, but with that, he had so many coping mechanisms and stuff. And it's just, that's just what he knew as like normal was like the way that we behaved, the way that we process the world around us. If we were, you know, if something caused us to melt down, we always said in our house that we were melting, you know, late, you get into the evening, you've been at school all day, you had baseball after school, and now you have to eat dinner and do your homework and take a bath and get ready for bed. And, and, all of that starts to get overwhelming. And we would all, all three of us, all three of us kids would break down and cry. Like we would just have moments where like, even a simple task was just like, not easy. And my mom, actually, my, I have a brother who's significantly younger than me. And he had this little train that would ride around on this track. And if it fell off the track, it would say, I'm off the track. I'm off the track. And my mom would, while I was like, supposed to be doing homework and I would be like halfway sitting in my seat at the table and then I would like get up and walk around and follow her and tell her stuff she would go pick up the train and it would say I'm off the track I'm off the track and as I got older she would just say that to me like when I was off the track and I, I told her after we were diagnosed I said you know I know to you it was normal because you had three kids who were all pretty similar in the same way but it's not normal to have to tell a child step by step their bed, get ready for bed instructions. Like there are children that you can say, okay, it's time to get ready for bed. I babysat some kids who were able to tell me what their normal routine was and walk me through it. Would they joke around and try to get out of doing it? Yes. But the difference was she would have to tell us, okay, go upstairs. Okay. Are you up the stairs? Okay. Go brush your teeth. Did you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush? You know, like checking with us throughout the process. Did you make it to the bedroom? Did you put on your pajamas? Like it, that had to be exhausting, but she was just so used to it that it was like, that's the norm. And it just turns out, no, that's not the norm. You have three kids with ADHD. <laughs> right. And that's on executive dysfunction. I've continued to, I've continued to experience that into adulthood. And it was, um, I, I asked Caitlin ahead of time, if you were a parent and she said, no, but I can tell you that from a parenting perspective, it was having a child that made me realize how bad my executive dysfunction is because he doesn't care if I don't want to get up and do it right this second he still wants it done right this second and boy was that an eye-opener for me yeah executive dysfunction is a real 
a real thing. And I think a lot of people are like, why don't you just get up and do the thing? Well, I'm not lazy. I'm not, you know, unproductive. I, I know I need to do the thing, but it's not that easy for my brain to do the thing. Yes. I talk about this a lot with, I take a medication that keeps me from getting dizzy and I'm supposed to take it twice a day. And sometimes I am standing in front of my sink, the medication in front of me in my pillbox, ready to go. And I brush my teeth and I'm getting ready to go to bed and I cannot make my brain take the medication. And it's like such a simple thing. Like you think like, oh, you would want to take that so you don't get dizzy. But for some reason at that moment, I do, it does not produce dopamine. I do not have the capability to make myself do it. It's like, sometimes my wife has to be like, did you take your meds? Like, go, okay, go back. Like, you know, like coax me, like, it's probably a good idea for you to take that. And so that's very common. And then also, you know, with executive dysfunction, I had never really thought about how chaotic I was until I realized that I could never get out of the house in the morning at the time I wanted to. If I had a meeting, I have like familial induced anxiety about being late and I have RSD. So rejection sensitive dysphoria. So um, I don't like people being mad at me. And one side of my family is chronically early to everything. So it was like beat into me at an early age. Like if you're on time, you're late, like you need to be early for stuff. And so I always set these like arbitrary ideas in my head of like, okay, I have my first meetings at eight 30. I need to be out of the house by eight, even though the office is 10 minutes away. Cause I need to have time. Yeah. And so no matter how early I woke up, I couldn't get out the door at eight. And on my 25th birthday, which was the year I was diagnosed was I was 24. And about six months after my diagnosis on my 25th birthday, I mapped out my morning because I thought it was hilarious when I got to the end of finally getting to where I was going to get out of my house. And I realized what had happened. And the whole thing was I needed to wake up, feed my cat, brush my teeth, get dressed, get out of the house. And in that process, at some point, I found myself half naked in my kitchen watching Instagram videos or something, you know, and I was like, what the heck? Like, where, how did I get here? And I went back and mapped it. And I was like, oh my God, you can find every point where I got distracted and where like, I had a thought that said, oh, I need to do this thing. Oh, I need to do this thing. And none of those things got done. Yep. And I was in my kitchen half naked with my phone in my hand. <laughs> I remember you mapping stuff out and like sending it to me and you, or maybe you even posted it on Instagram. I can't remember, but I remember your maps and it like showing how your brain worked to complete a task, like getting ready to leave the house. And I love that from someone who I'm not diagnosed with ADHD. I've talked with you a little bit about this, Liz. I I don't know. I have unusual tendencies, but I don't really think that's the proper diagnosis for me at all. But I loved being able to see that visual of like how that works because I hadn't had like a really close friend diagnosed with ADHD and seeing that helped me understand like your day to day life and how it is to complete tasks. So I appreciated that. And I'm sure you looking back, it helped you and reflect on that situation. Oh, this is actually why it is so hard for me to just get out the door in the morning. I want to do a challenge and I'm going to challenge Caitlin to tell me what going to the grocery store looks like. Okay. Well, this is my thing. I can't go to the grocery store. I order all my groceries and I think it's more of an anxiety thing when I look back on it, especially when I talk about this, like Sam's Walmart, like I can't, like I cannot physically go because it is overwhelming. I can't do it. Instances where it's like we needed a lot of things or like 
bulk items, Mikey had to go to Sam's because I can't do it. I can't go. It overwhelms me. I hate the big open space of just (laughs) crap and crap. and I can't do it. That overwhelms me. But I, every Sunday I sit here and I make my list of what we need from the grocery store and then it gets dropped off. So the reason I asked this is because somebody asked me once what my least favorite chore was. And after I said all of them, I pointed out that I hate grocery shopping and they were like, why? And I said, because you have to go to the grocery store and then you pick, get a buggy and then you go down all the aisles and you take the items that you want and you put them in your buggy. And then when you're done, you go to the checkout and you remove them from your buggy and you put them on the conveyor belt. And then you take them off the bagging section and you put them back in your buggy. And then you take your buggy to your car and you unload your car or you unload your buggy into your car. And then you drive home and you unload your car into your house. And then you have to unload the bags into your cabinets. And they were like, what in the world are you talking about? You just go to the store and you buy the things and you take them home and you put them away. And I'm like, no, that's not it. It's not that simple. There's 15 steps to going to the grocery store, not two. And they're like, you're, what are you? And that's just one example of the way that my brain works when it comes to executing tasks. I don't see it as doing laundry where you put the laundry in and then you move it to the dryer and then you fold it and you put it away. I see it in little teeny tiny increments and then I don't want to do it. See, I'm weird in that I love the grocery store, but I also do do therapy specifically for ADHD and I love wandering stores. I love, it doesn't bother me because I get, again, I zone out. I often like zone out and tune out the world around me really easily. And so I love to just like wander through and grocery stores are actually pretty dangerous because then I will just like be like, oh, I like this item. This looks fun. Let's try that this week. And then I end up with like way oh, more than so I can funny. actually like eat. For me though, when you're describing like how to order tasks, For me, as an adult, cooking dinner that uses recipes, like I need that structure, but I am an ex 30 minute recipe that people can do in 30 minutes. I can make it a two hour recipe. Try me. I can make it happen because no matter how much I look at it, I cannot retain the information and put everything in order correctly. And that's where I, how I describe executive dysfunction to my friends who struggle with like task initiation and stuff. When you have task initiation issues, if you can look at the recipe, you can think about the recipe and you know what order you need to do things in and you just can't motivate yourself to do it. That's one thing. I literally cannot start the recipe correctly. Like the other day, my wife had to leave the kitchen for a minute and I was, oh, I will go take over this recipe. And I was just, I was reading the steps and I was somehow I skipped the step that said that I needed to cook something first. And I went ahead and I started cracking eggs in a bowl. And then I looked and I was like, we are not even there yet because I have to have cooked this other thing to put in the bowl with the eggs. And it was one of those moments of like, this is why I don't get in the kitchen because if it's not written specifically for an ADHD brain, like it's a typical recipe, I struggle. I struggle really hard with following instructions. And I actually think about that a lot. And again, I have a lot of friends, Caitlin has actually brought up a really good point that In women, it's often difficult to diagnose ADHD because first of all, some of the executive dysfunction symptoms can be symptoms of normal hormone fluctuations throughout the month. Like you can experience a couple of days of brain fog and issues with task initiation and feeling scattered and such because your hormone changes. Also anxiety and those symptoms can look really similar because you have forgetfulness and lack of motivation. And, you know, a lot of times the forgetfulness from anxiety is the fact that you are so in your head from the anxious thoughts that you can't see the world around you the way that you need to. 
and with ADHD, it's literally like, like, I, I like to say my wife has anxiety and she's very open about it. She'll have a thought spiral. Like she'll be sitting there having a thought spiral about an upcoming event that she's nervous about and thinking of all the things that could go wrong. I may think about the event and then the event cues in my head, something about someone who's going to the event. And I think about the last time I saw that person in a conversation we have, and then somehow I'm thinking about squirrels, like literal squirrels <laughs> and realizing I've been sitting there for five minutes and I'm burning something in the kitchen because I was just pacing around thinking about squirrels, <laughs> like, or had had 25 thoughts since that time. Liz, I, I had forgot that your brothers were both diagnosed and can you talk a little bit about maybe what their ADHD might look like compared to yours? And did they receive earlier diagnosis before you did? Or what did that look like? Yeah. So we all received like our final formal diagnosis and started medication in the same like three month span in 2016. So I was 24. My other brother was 21. And then the youngest one was 16. They had had assessments done when they were younger, uh, especially the youngest. He had some learning difficulties. He was, but he also had Crohn's disease and missed almost an entire year of school. So there was like that complicating factor of like also could be misbehaving because he's behind and can't keep up. But yeah, so they'd had some like informal, like, yeah, he probably has ADHD, but like no treatment needed or whatever. My middle brother has ADHD and anxiety. And so he and a lot of sensory problems related to touch and texture. So when he was a little kid, he used to wear his clothes super, super tight to the point that like, it's above your belly button, buddy. We need to change this. Like you need to put on different clothes. These are way too small. And he loved hugs and pressure. And he was also very prone to fits. Like he would get, he had the ADHD anger, very frustrated, but we were both very driven. And we also both molded our worlds around us, which is how we avoided a diagnosis. So in high school, he was on the debate team and on baseball. And he was, we went to a, an arts magnet school and he was a drama magnet. So he emceed events and was always out in the spring for his baseball games around the state. And he was on the debate team. So he's prepping and at competition. So he was like never in class. And I was in band and I played in the musicals and, and all that. And so I was never in class. And so we found ways to like get out of situations that would make us bored and, and show our symptoms even more. And if we, if our grades slipped or whatever, not that they slipped very far, but if they ever slipped, it was like, oh, well, you're just doing too much. Like, you know, you shouldn't have a debate competition the same day you have a baseball game three hours away and then have to come home and do all of your homework. So his his symptoms were more, he and I experienced some things pretty similarly. The big difference is he has both a semi-photographic memory when it comes to words. So if he's reading something, he can probably put it down and recite it back to you. And his auditory memory is almost impeccable. He is a lawyer now. So he, he has that going for him. I have, yeah, I have self-diagnosed auditory processing disorder. I have pretty much all of the symptoms and all of the hallmarks. And so I retain almost nothing I hear. Like you can say a sentence to me and ask me to repeat it back to you. And if I can, it's like a miracle. The youngest, I always say like he was significantly younger. He's technically like a different generation. He's peak Gen Z. Like he's, his, his vocabulary is bet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm picturing your brothers, like, as I know them now. And this is spot on. (laughs) Yeah. So like the baby, he was, we called him a human tornado. Like he could just walk into space and just destroy it. And he was just, and he was, as a kid too, he was even kind of chubby. And it was so funny to me when I would like have to take him to stuff. Like I'd take him to Boy Scouts. And before Boy Scouts, everyone's running around outside. 
And this kid would be running around with all the kindergartners. He'd have to sit for a second because he's a little chunky and like getting a little <sighs> like worn out. And then he's running back with them again. Like, you know, and the other third grade boys might be like sitting on the stairs waiting and he's like chasing the kindergartners, <laughs> you know? So it, he, he was way more hallmark. He had a lot more of the behavioral issues. Like as he got older, a lot more like defiant and he struggled in school a lot. His motivation was very, he has a very big, like immediate reward motivation system. He didn't understand why school mattered. He couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel with school, but he, he was very motivated by money. So like he didn't finish college, but honestly, he is making more than I made or about what I made when I graduated with my master's in a, at 22 in a, not college educated field. So he's, he's found a success, but yeah, we were all, we were similar, but different. Thank you for sharing that because, and I love how you're talking about how you guys have all been successful in your own ways. Cause thinking of other interviews that we've done, that's what is the biggest fear is the future is unknown for a child of any diagnosis. What's this going to look like once they reach adulthood. And just from my experience, a lot, if not all of the very intelligent people I know in my life who are successful. And although their journeys might have not been the typical journey to that spot or to that position, all of them have some sort of other diagnosis. They have anxiety, depression, ADHD, something. And so although they are successful people now, their journey just looked a lot different to get to that point. I had to learn when I started medication that some people's brains are just quiet. Like there's nothing going on. Like I used to ask my wife, like what she was thinking about. She'd be like, nothing. And I'm like, there's not like a a voice going in your head constantly. And you're not swirling through like 75 thoughts in one minute. Like, and it really, I, I always say there's a moment of clarity when I take my meds where my brain just stops. And sometimes honestly, it stops so hard that like I find words as easily and stuff because I feel like I'm in slow motion. And in reality, I probably am at like normal speed. (laughs) like to everyone else but to me I'm in slow motion and it feels like it's taking me forever to find a word to form a thought and it's like what is this because normally I'm just too distracted and like I might start a sentence and then not finish it because something caught my attention but instead I can't start the sentence because my brain's so slow and so it's just it's funny that you that you mentioned that because I guarantee you like I, I can also say like as someone who is primarily inattentive ADHD, my brain just involuntarily, when I'm too sensory overloaded, it just zones me out. You could be talking right at me. I'm not going to hear a word you said because maybe the air conditioning is on and I can feel all of my clothes right now. And also I've been on meetings all day and I just had to do a really mentally taxing task and you just, and you're talking right to me and my brain just realizes all of that has just happened and just goes, you need a break for a second and zones me out. When you just said, I would ask my wife what she was thinking about, and she would say nothing, Megan, who's my wife, and I would actually, we don't argue or fight, so this is a very loose use of the word argue, but she, I would be like, hey, babe, what are you thinking about? And she'd say nothing, and I was like, but really, what are you thinking about? And I, I, because I didn't believe her. I knew, and because RSD, I'm like, she's over there thinking that I didn't do the dishes today, and she's just going to leave, because you know, I didn't do the dishes and everybody hates me. So like the, the first day I took medication. So I started out on Concerta, which is a non-stimulant medication and it gave me horrid side effects when I had to up the dose. But originally I took it and I had no idea what to expect. And about 30 minutes after I took the medication, I looked at Megan and I said, 
babe, the bees are quiet. And she said, what? And I said, usually <laughs> I have a bunch of, a bunch of thought bees in my head that are buzzing all the time. And like, I have to pick out a thought so that I could focus on that one thought. But right now they're quiet. This is weird. And she's like, that's how I function all the time. And I'm like, but how, how is that normal? My entire life, I've had a jukebox and bees in my brain. Then I started stimulant medication. And let me tell you, those bees weren't just quiet. Like half of them took a nap when I I started that medication. So um, that leads me into discussing meds. Is that something that you sought out? Were you for or against it? Or did you have any like concerns? I had a ton of concerns. So my med story is really interesting because I'd always kind of had a concerns about first, first SSRIs. And then I was on those for depression and anxiety. And then when I transferred into that community clinic, I met my therapist who is actually the therapist I use now. She left for a few and we were apart for a few years and I found her and I've been back with her for about three years. She also has ADHD. She's wonderful. Shout out. But when I started with her on like day one in our intake, just chatting, she was like, I really think you need to get on meds. I was like adamantly against it. I was like, no, there's no way. Like, I do not need them. I've made it this far. Like, I just have to like talk through all my problems and it's going to go away. And it's, I'm going to be able to use the same coping mechanisms I've used my whole life. And then I had this one day in like July of that summer, this was in June that I started early June or late May, I started seeing her. This was in July. I was a clinic manager at the time and I had three clinics And I had a day where the next day I was going to need three different items with me first thing in the morning for a a. 7am meeting. And I had told myself that three different times and I managed to leave the items at different clinics, one of which I did not have a code for or a key for because I was basically like an interim manager there. And the poor clinic lead who lived like 45 minutes away had to come (laughs) let me into the clinic at like six something in the morning so I could get this item I'd left there. And I had just realized like how much I was struggling. I was getting, I was saying, I'll say, I say it as like getting in trouble at work, but it was really like some well-meaning female health administration mentors who were like, Hey, like we want to talk to you about like your behavior in this meeting or like the way that you phrased this when you were talking to someone and blah, blah, blah. And like, it was just all, it all came crashing down that day. And I went to the psychiatrist and I was like, uh, let's start meds. And so I was really against it. And then I started taking them. And the first day I took them, I was in one of my clinics. I was in my office and I heard my staff in the hallway saying, is Liz here? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe she left. I haven't seen her because it had been so common for me to be out and like bothering them and not getting anything done because I wasn't sitting still in my office. And so me being quiet and in my office made them think I wasn't there. But in reality, I was just finally able to focus. And so it was this whole ordeal. But one thing I do like to add is circling back to what you said earlier about depression and anxiety, that turned out to be a misdiagnosis for me that I have no anxiety. I have depression secondary to ADHD and it's all a dopamine deficiency. So I actually take Wellbutrin and Vyvanse. So I get all the dopamine and that has like drastically changed my life. So for people out there who might have an ADHD diagnosis and are like still on SSRIs and ADHD meds and might be struggling, I highly recommend asking about switching to Wellbutrin if you don't have comorbid anxiety. If you have anxiety, Wellbutrin is awful for you. Um, um, I'm actually on Wellbutrin, but I also take Lexapro, a low dose of Lexapro to help with um, the anxiety. And because I also have OCD, 
And I have more of the like intrusive thought side of OCD. Like I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden in my brain, I'm like, what would happen if I just yeet myself off this bridge right now? I never knew that having those thoughts weren't normal, but according to my therapist, they're not normal. Not that I would ever do it. So, but you just think about what would happen. So the more that we're talking about this, I'm really thankful for this conversation because the more that you guys talk and we start having these discussions, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. This whole time I've been like, something's different. Yeah. But those thoughts, I have them all the time. Yeah. And it's been, all the time. I'm like, made- I'm like, what would happen if, cause my kids are with me and this is, I'm going to, we're going to get in this car wreck or if I accidentally went off like this bridge, what would happen to me and all my children? And how do we get out? Like, I think about that stuff all the time. One of my best friends will say the same thing. She got me the survival book because I always think about like, what is the possible worst case scenario (laughs) in whatever scenario I'm in and how I would get out of it. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I can't, I can't even see that far. Sometimes it's hard for me to see the consequences or see the potential. I can see danger in some like realistic situations because I'm very visual. So like I can picture like, oh, I'm too close to this car. Someone could hit me from behind and I could ram into the car in front of me. I do have like thoughts like that. But I can't be like, I have three kids in my car having anxiety and not having it because no, I don't have a plan. I don't have a plan for a lot of things. I'm awful at planning. I actually think my anxiety has helped me mask a lot of my ADHD symptoms because I don't have a problem being late either. I have a problem with being too early and then like, I can't let my executive dysfunction interrupt things when other people are depending on me. And that's a combination of RSD and anxiety. So like getting here today was not a problem for me because I knew Caitlin was depending on me. Our first interview was depending on me. You were depending on me. So there was no way I was going to be late today because of that. And I don't know. So the reason I was scared to start taking ADHD meds is because I was scared I was going to lose my sparkle. I've always considered myself to be kind of a unique person with some, you know, like quirky traits, things that made me different than everyone else. And I always looked at those as like wins. And then when I, I started seeking a diagnosis, I started thinking about like all of my personality traits and all of those quirks. I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. I have become my diagnosis. I'm literally just a box of mental health and neurodivergency struggles in a trench coat, trying to pretend to be a quirky, cool human. And when I tell you I was so wrong, I'm still, I still have all the quirks. I still have the same personality, but I'm able to function on a day-to-day basis and take care of the things that I need to take care of without feeling like my world's going to come crumbling down. Medication is scary and it's scary for a lot of reasons, but when I say it changed my life, I'm not being dramatic. I mean, absolutely same for me. And and one thing I like to coach people on as well, because I have a lot of friends, I've, I've tried to be outspoken about my diagnosis because I want people to feel validated if they share the experience, but I also really love helping my friends kind of figure out where they fall. Like my friend who got diagnosed with autism, like she was kind of thinking she might have ADHD and it turns out she probably has autism like, or she does have autism. And that's probably like the main reason, or like, I have a friend with, with very severe anxiety and CPTSD and talking about the similarities between like her lack of motivation and, and my lack of motivation. But then there's also the difference when it comes to medication, like not all stimulants work for everyone. I take my advance. My, one of my other brothers takes my advance and the other takes 
instant release Adderall. I can't do instant release Adderall. I would forget to take the second med. Like there's, I'm, I am very bad. Like my middle brother who has anxiety that fuels him a lot in like his ability to stay on top of himself. And I lack that. So sometimes he messes with me about like, I'm too ADHD and I laugh about it because yeah, I am. Now that I know how severe my case is, I laugh a lot about it. But when it comes to medication, like people have to know that the first med you try may not be the one for you. And some people cannot tolerate stimulants, especially, especially if a lot of your ADHD symptoms came on after a known trauma. A lot of those people cannot handle stimulants because the ADHD is being caused by a different part of their brain that very often now they're starting to, to, to kind of debate if that needs a separate diagnosis on its own, because it, even though the traits are similar, it's not exactly the same. So people understanding that like stimulants aren't for everyone, but there's probably a medication out there that can help you. The other thing I like to coach people on is if you've been on a medication for a long time and you like, you really like it, but you still have issues like with like, for example, a task you don't like, like laundry, you still can't make yourself do the laundry, even though you have the tools to do the laundry now, because you, you've got the, the medicine, you may be on the wrong dose because even because a neurotypical person, even if they don't want to do it at some point can still convince themselves to do it. Yeah. And that, that's something that I talk a lot about too, because a lot of people get really complacent with, with their dosage and with the kind of medication they use. And they're, it's just what they know. And they're like, well, but this is still part of who I am. Like, it, this is still part of my personality. And it's like, you're still having symptoms. Like right. you're still experiencing those symptoms and you should really consider like experimenting with the medication dosage and whatever, because it can, it can actually drastically affect you. Like it can make a lot of things easier in ways that you never even realized because you just thought that you, that since you were better than you were, that that was the answer. Yeah, totally. So I started on Concerta, the low dose. And when they bumped me up, I started having like severe nausea. It was not worth it. I said, I would rather be, I'd rather, you know, wake up the bees in my head than feel this physically awful. So she switched me to Vivance and I was on a really great insurance at the time. So my Vivance only cost me $30 a month. And so it was worth it. Well, then my insurance ended at the end of the year. And when that happened, Vivance doesn't have a generic option, but side note for anybody that's listening and is on Vivance, um, the generic patent or the patent for Vivance is coming up in June of 2023. It's expiring. So it's up for grabs and there might be a generic that comes available after that. But anyway, I, I couldn't afford it out of pocket because it was going to be over $300 a month. And that's just not feasible for me. So I switched back and she put me on Adderall extended release and it did okay, but it wasn't the same. The other benefit for Vivance for me is it helps with binge eating disorder because food and is a dopamine release that's pretty instant. And so binging is a real problem that I've experienced my entire life. And Vivance helps with that. I can't tell you the last time that I binged on anything, even things that I enjoy, I can say, Hey, you're full. Stop eating that. And that's not something that I've ever experienced before. And it's the only medication on the market that treats binge eating disorder. So if you have insurance and they don't want to pay for Vivance because it is expensive, if you have binge eating disorder or BED, talk to your physician about it because if they mark you and the system is having BED, then your insurance company uh, won't be able to deny it because it's the only medication available to treat that. Fun thing that I learned that might be helpful 
helpful to someone. No, that is really helpful because people don't realize how that basically the majority of people with ADHD have some form of disordered eating. My struggle is in actually when I take my medication, I can do pretty well without it other than if I like end up in a hyper-focus, which is very rare for me. But I struggle during the day with being able to eat while I'm on my medication And I know that's a form of disordered eating. So I've done a lot of work with my therapist, again, who also has ADHD and has the exact same problem as me on getting any food in my system in the middle of the day is good. And it's better than not eating. And so working on how I think about food in the middle of the day and what foods are safe for me to eat and that I know I can force down essentially. And so, but people like people don't realize people with ADHD often don't have proper hunger signals. Again, I'm very lucky. My stomach audibly growls if I have not eaten in the right amount of period of time. I've been that way my whole life. I used to wake up hungry first thing in the morning. Like I've, I've got very good hunger signals, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately. But a lot of people with ADHD have various forms of disordered eating and it usually binge eating disorder is a really big one because um, it's a very common pattern to maybe, maybe eat when you wake up in the morning and then not eat again until you're at dinner I'm and have to eat right now because I'm thinking, um, so I, I don't have those same hunger cues, but what I do have is PCOS and insulin resistance. And those two things together, when I'm hungry, it becomes very apparent very quickly that I need to eat something. So even if my brain is like, Hey, you're in the middle of something, which right now it's recording this episode with you. My belly is like, you should go eat a snack. I love that you talked about your experience with food because it, it, I mean, it varies from person to person, just like anything else. So you said that you don't hyper-focus very much, but I just want to address that since I don't want to say ADHD is trendy because that's not true. What I want to say is that ADHD is being talked about a lot more in the last few years than it has been ever discussed. And I think that's because of social media. And it's not because, you know, everybody's on social media. It's because social media is a really great dopamine release to watching TikTok, you know, scrolling Instagram and watching reels, seeing pictures that make you happy and smile, um, you know, kitten videos, etc. So because of that, the conversation is very prevalent, I think. So I'm curious what your thought is about the discussion around the name tension deficit. I believe it's It needs to be addressed that ADHD isn't the lack of ability to pay attention to something. And it is more the lack of ability to pay attention to the right thing in the moment. Yeah, I, so the name, because it does kind of in a way describe part of my, you're right. Like I can pay attention to a lot of things. I can also pay attention to none of the things anywhere and be basically numb and in a zoned out state. I think that a lot of people, it's, I've seen it too on social media that a lot of people with ADHD, especially people who experience more of the side of the hyperactive symptoms and the inability to focus on the thing they want to focus on. A lot of people have, have this big outcry of we need to rename the disorder. And I can agree. I think all disorders need it like deserve like a really hard look to get a proper name to them, especially one like ADHD, where people have used ADD and ADHD as a way to just describe a quick moment in time that they experience. I haven't struggled with the name as much and I haven't honestly given it as much thought, but I I think that, like I said, every disorder name when it comes to mental health and neurodivergency deserves a re-evaluation, just like Asperger's syndrome and how now it's just high-functioning autism. Like I think that that was the very right decision to make based on the fact that it is not a distinct disorder and those kids need 
the same resources that other kids with autism need, even though they appear more high functioning. And I think ADHD might get that revolution sooner rather than later because of the social media outcry. Right. And I'm, I'm totally not correcting you. So please don't take it that way. But like just discussing and like language and things like that, I personally am not a fan of referring to anybody as high functioning. I don't like to say that you have high functioning insert whatever here because not being able to function in certain situations, like, you know, Caitlin, somebody could say Caitlin has high functioning anxiety because nobody's going to know that Caitlin has anxiety because she does so many great things all the time, but that doesn't make her anxiety struggle any less than someone else's. It just means that she wears a heavier mask, maybe depending on who she's around, but that might be a completely different discussion for a different day. But yeah, Uh, that's absolutely a very good point regarding language around disorders. Yeah. And I mean, it's evolving and I'm really grateful for that because like you said, like Asperger's, um, you know, eliminating the term and just referring to them as being on the spectrum and then Mm -hmm. ISD. And then I've read um, a lot of uh, psychiatrists are bouncing around the idea that ADHD is a part of the autism spectrum, not the same, but on the spectrum, because we have a lot of overlapping symptoms, like you were talking about earlier, um, where, you know, you've been asked before if if you think you're on the spectrum and yeah, there's a lot of overlapping symptoms there, but well, what's interesting is I was taught in, in undergrad that you could not and should not diagnose a kid with autism with ADHD, that they were basically like kind of what you're saying that it's like one in the same, like on the same spectrum. And that like, if they have autism, that the support should be adequate and can focus around their attention issues. And then I have a family friend who has autism, is autistic and has, has ADHD. And I can tell you with dead certainty, if he did not have both of those diagnoses, he would not be functioning because he needs that medication and he needs that attention to that side of his brain. And I think, I think it it's important to, I know people will say like, well, you know, it's, it's a spectrum, but I think it's important to acknowledge that the issues of ADHD have, have been identified clearly as a neurotransmitter deficiency. And in the way that your brain functions and, and both produces and absorbs dopamine in comparison to where we don't exactly know all the biological and neurotransmitter components behind autism and that the communication issues are often distinct of one another. Like I said earlier, like the, the not knowing the social cue versus knowing the social cue, feeling the room and knowing how everyone is thinking about what you're about to do and not caring anyway, because you can't see the consequence. I think that's another thing I could have said earlier too, is that like, you can't see the consequence with ADHD if like blurting out in the middle of the conversation. But if you knew what the consequence was very particularly those of us with RSD might prevent us from blurting or might, you know, encourage us to use more coping tools to not blurt out in the conversation. Um, whereas with autism, they don't even know the cue to know that there could be a consequence to begin with. That's something I have a really great coping mechanism for that. So I'm really bad about interrupting. And I remember growing up and like you said earlier, sorry, mom, but I remember growing up and I would get in trouble for being disrespectful because I interrupted when the truth is that my brain sometimes rapid fires so quickly that if I don't do something with the thing in my brain right now, I'm going to explode. And so now as an adult, when things are super prevalent and I have to get it out, if it's not the appropriate time to say it, 
which I, you know, social cues, I've, I've come to learn when those times are, but I write it down. And if I don't, I mean, even if I just type a quick note in my phone so that I remember when you're done speaking, I can say this thing and that can continue the conversation or redirect it to something different. But yeah, I definitely have to do that. I want to talk about something kind of, I mean, funny, loosely funny. Have you heard of ADHD tax? Absolutely. Okay. I want to talk about ADHD tax. So I'll tell you mine and then you can add on. Caitlin, have you heard of this? I haven't. So okay. when you said that, or even when I was reading the question, I was like, what is that? Okay. So um, the first thing that comes to mind that's, is I have a terrible time with returning things. So I buy something, it doesn't fit right. I then, you know, it would be really easy to just take it back to Target the next time I go. But my executive dysfunction and my forgetfulness, I'm going to forget to take it back. And then I'm going to continue to forget taking it back until now I can't because I'm right. outside of the, re- the refund or the return window. So my ADHD tax is I have this $30 item that I don't need and I can no longer get my money back for. Late fees on bills. It's not that I don't have the money and I can't pay my bills. It's I forget to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And so then now I've got a $25 late fee, ADHD tax. I forgot my lunch. I made my lunch. It's in the refrigerator, but I left it there. So now I have to go get something. Well, and see, my ADHD tax is, I I have had, now again, I have RSD and I have a very strong, like, aversion to losing money from, like, preventable mistakes. I have, I'm very competitive with myself. As is the way I like to say it, because I don't like being competitive with other people because it's a basis for poor self-esteem. And I just don't like trying to compare myself to others and try to outcompete them or whatever, but I'm competitive with myself and I'm very hard on, not hard on myself, but strict on myself when it comes to things like $25 is like, I'm able to quantify that in my head. It's like, what can you do with $25? Well, great. Now this month you have, you have four late fees and that's cut now a hundred dollars. And what could you have done with that? Part of that comes from the fact that I like you, you have PCOS, PCOS sister, I have endometriosis. Okay. Um, and related diseases that have cost me a lot of money in surgeries and treatment and everything else. And so I have to be a little more aware of, of my money to make sure that like, I'm able to live my life comfortably. So I don't pay that tax specifically, but my big one tends to be groceries. We're doing better about it now as a family, but where, you know, you go to the store and you spend $250 at the grocery store to get all the things you need for the week. And a lot of times when we get fresh fruit and vegetables, I, I'm, you probably thousands of dollars a year goes down the drain in wasted food because it was stuff that like I thought I wanted and then couldn't convince myself to eat or you know oh we'll cook that broccoli tomorrow we'll cook it tomorrow we'll cook it tomorrow and then a week and a half later it's like it's got mold growing on it it's gone brown like you can't eat that anymore absolutely I actually follow a plug here let's have a plug for a tiktoker there's two of them actually like three of them that I really love. But the one I'm going to talk about her handle is domestic blisters. And she talks about she moral neutrality. Like you're not a failure because you didn't do the dishes last night for whatever reason. And she started this off without having her own ADHD diagnosis, but has since got it. But what, one of the things that she talked about doing was she moved all of her condiments that people traditionally keep in their refrigerator doors into the crispers and started storing her produce in the doors so that she sees it. And she's like, yes, it's probably going to go bad quicker than it would if I put them in the crisper. But if I put them in the crisper, it's going to go bad because I'm going to forget it exists. 
And so I started doing that and I, yes, I still have to throw things away sometimes, but it's far less frequent. We did that for a while. And then we actually ended up switching it back. But I, I like to say, and to all you ADHDers out there or potential ADHDers listening to this or anyone who has any self-esteem issues, my favorite phrase to say is that my brain outsmarts me. And I think it's a really good way to phrase when you have difficulties. So my biggest issue is I will set up a system for success, such as arranging my fridge that way. And eventually my brain just does not care that that system is in place and chooses to ignore it anyway. We, so I, my favorite story about this is we were storing our cast iron pan in the oven and had to remember to take it out of the oven every time before we turn on the oven. So I put a post-it note over the part of the oven where I could hit bake, whatever else to start the oven that said, remove cast iron pan. It worked for a while. It really did. Like I would, I would make sure the pan came out. Then one day my wife and I were both in the kitchen and she asked if I would turn the oven on. I walked over, lifted up the post-it note, hit the bake button. And she looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, time for a new way to remember this because this is, this is no longer going to work. Like I can no longer use this method because I have now become numb to that post-it note. And yeah. the same thing happens with the reminders. I, have, I used to say I need reminders for my reminders or I have to like change up what time of day I do them and what they say and how, like how I phrase things or like there I'm, I'm constantly trying to outsmart myself. Like, and it's just a constant battle. And to everyone out there who like deals with, with those kinds of situations and then gets down on themselves about it, like reframe it to the fact that your brain is so smart that it's like out, it's outsmarting you. Like, it's like, it's like a cat and mouse game. I loved how similar our stories are. It makes me feel a little less crazy, a little less alone. Crazy is probably a bad word and I shouldn't use it, but sometimes I feel like I'm crazy. But thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Liz, I appreciate it because I know there are probably listeners that feel very similarly. So thank you so much.